Hi, I'm David Freudberg, and I'm on a mission. Since I was a high school intern in public radio back in NPR's first year on the air, I've devoted my working life to seeking out and disseminating knowledge that I hope will be enlightening and will benefit the lives of our listeners. But the grants we get, the generous support provided from foundations and some others, simply don't cover all our expenses. And if you like what you hear, we're asking for your help so we can keep this going. Please visit humanmedia.org, and at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Thanks. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund. Would you rather be at home making homemade soap with your daughter or waiting in line in some shopping mall? We, we feel like we have reclaimed the holiday from the Scrooges, from the people who just want our money and want us to continue on this consumer treadmill. We have reclaimed it, and we are just having so much fun. Stories of people seeking greater holiday focus on simplicity, charity, and authentic connection with loved ones. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Maybe if you shut off all media and refrain from setting foot in a retail store during the entire month of December, it would be possible to elude the onslaught of annual holiday advertising. Christmas and Hanukkah shopping have become almost synonymous with how we observe the year-end celebrations. But now, with many personal budgets tight and a thirst for less materialism, people are taking a new look at the holidays. For us, it's a choice uh, not to go to the stores and buy, 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 not to work off a big list of what that person's wants are and feed the person's desire for more things. It can be something from a yard sale, that one of our favorite gifts are the yard sale Santa gifts that are just fun. Connie Stubbs in Waltham, Massachusetts, along with most of her family members, prefers to minimize the consumer frenzy of the holidays. They derive more satisfaction from donating to charity and giving simple gifts, bearing in mind it's the thought that truly counts. They're part of a movement known as alternative giving. It's increasingly popular in some religious communities, like the Elliott Church, a United Church of Christ congregation in nearby Newton Corner, which she attends. I think it is so important to remember that original intent about bringing families together, about having rituals and traditions and marking the passing of time. This is what these holidays are about. And we need to reclaim these holidays from the commercial messengers. Annie Leonard in Berkeley, California, is the author of The Story of Stuff. It details the heavy environmental impact of all the consumer merchandise we make, use, and throw away. Her video of the same title went viral online, attracting more than 10 million viewers. You know, forget going to the shopping mall at 4 a.m. on Black Friday. Stay home with your family and celebrate your time together. It's such a rare treat to have a day off of work in the midst of this crazy holiday season. I cannot understand why people would want to go sleep in a parking lot at 2 o'clock in the morning to go shopping when you could be sleeping in, playing board games with your kids, eating leftovers, really instilling in the right kind of values in our kids about the things that actually will make us happy, which is social fabric, community, time together, not just an 
an ever-ending flow of more stuff. It's understandable that retailers devote such outsized attention to holiday marketing. Revenue from this period averages a fifth and sometimes as much as 40 percent of total annual retail sales. But the intensity around December holiday buying was not always at this fevered pitch. I remember growing up uh, in the Bronx and from working class family and Christmas giving was things you needed. Patrick O'Reilly, now living in the Boston area, is a retired public health care professional and a former Peace Corps volunteer. We got socks and underwear. Uh, and occasionally a new shirt or something like that. And then, as we saw our generation growing up with more resources, we started to feel like we could buy more things. And then it became important to everybody that you have this celebration that said, here's how much I love you. I'm going to give you more and more things. And I only do it once a year, of course, because I only love you at a holiday. I mean, it got very strange. It switched dramatically from a day in which, in our, our world, we'd begin with Midnight Mass. And, and that was the center of how the Christmas day began. And now it's, when can I begin opening my presents? striking that almost all spiritual celebrations are an opportunity to honor transcending the material and going to something beyond the material, to, to something sacred. Um, and that is all but obscured in the consumer approach to the holidays. You have to be more conscious as an individual and as a family as to how do you make this day represent what you want it to, as opposed to what somebody else is telling you it should represent. And then you develop traditions, and the traditions might be, instead of having a big family dinner, we go to a shelter and we serve food that day. There, there are ways in which we can turn it around. But the social and economic pressure to approach the holidays as a breathless buying spree is enormous. American consumers will go to great lengths to get goods at rock-bottom prices. Some even camped outside this store in Florida before Black Friday just to be first in line. Tito Hernandez was yeah, one of them. Definitely worth it. We save you money and it's you know, a good time to get together, everybody laughing and having a good time. And after the wait... The rush begins. Black Friday. I remember in anthropology there was something called a potlatch where there was competitive giving and he who gave the biggest one. <laughs> so um, it's easy to get caught in that. Sue Butler, a nurse and psychology researcher at Tufts University, has a long standing interest in environmental sustainability. A lot of the most meaningful things, I think, are not money based. Like the ornaments on the tree, uh, I have some from my children, some from my sister, and patients would leave me ornaments on my door. So I've kept those and their treasures, and I think I know who left it. You know, So that's been wonderful every year I remember those people. But also 
The giving of experience is really important. One lady had given her husband a month's pass to the uh, public transportation network in Boston, and they spent a month uh, visiting and exploring the entire tea system, which I thought was wonderful. Families who celebrate Hanukkah and Christmas often bestow much of their gift-giving on children. Kids can be utterly enchanted by the ritual of unwrapping presents near a Jewish candelabrum or in reciting a wish list while sitting with wide-eyed wonder on the lap of Santa, who is often found holding court at a shopping mall. Annie Leonard in Berkeley, California. Well, I'm very fortunate that my family is not a big consumer manic family. And so what we do um, for the gift giving is everybody draws one name and you give one gift and um, we have a limit of $25. So I have to buy one gift, maximum of $25 and that's it. I can completely ignore all the junk mail that comes advertising things. I can ignore the long lines at the store. I've just opted out of the whole consumer frenzy. We have unlimited homemade gifts. So my daughter and I last year made homemade soap for all of our relatives. We make cupcakes. We make coupons for babysitting and meal delivery. We give lots of gifts of love, but we don't have to partake in the whole consumer orgy, and it is such a relief that we do this. If you ask people today, what is the one thing that they'd like to have? Everyone. Time. We don't have enough time. Patrick O'Reilly in Boston. Give the gift of time. It's not that hard. Now, one year... I gave my wife gourmet dinners once a month. Other times you say, you know, we're going to ride the subways together. Or you've got Saturday mornings off for the next month. Don't worry about the house. Don't worry about the kids. I'll take responsibility for it. Find a way that you can either use your time or give somebody back some time that they haven't had. And and this is an extraordinarily precious gift because we don't have it, uh, enough of it usually. And I think that's one of the things that we can do to tell somebody how much we really care about them is that we're going to give our time. Thinking about time and reflective time is important. What I don't get enough of, and I see very few people, is time to just reflect. So plan on going for a walk in an arboretum, you know, once a month, and you just put it into account. This is what we're going to do. Clear away everything. Take the time just to be together quietly. So the act of making that commitment itself is a gift. That's the gift. And and saying to somebody, I care for you so much, I'm going to give you time. And I would just wonder what somebody might say if you told that to them. One of Patrick's favorite Christmas time events is the annual drive by City Mission Society of Boston to collect clothes, toys, books, and household goods donated by religious congregations. The items are then distributed to thousands of low-income people. Recipients include children who want to make gifts to their parents but don't have the means. And for Connie Stubbs, who attends a suburban church, One of the most satisfying holiday activities is donating to charities. The most meaningful ones, I think, uh, through the church are concrete gifts so that you can, um, we're involved with a project in Zambia, 
the church is involved with an organization called Communities Without Borders that is interested in educating AIDS orphans and other vulnerable children in Zambia and, and in certain other countries. And so we have a wonderful list of um, $145 buys a year in high school, $100 buys it pays the tuition for a year in elementary school, $10 buys a pair of shoes, $7 buys food for the day. And so people of all means, that's a range from, from $7 to um, $300, can participate. And we have a card and then a little slip that says a gift has been given in your honor of a pair of shoes to a child in Zambia. And people love to buy those gifts. They, almost everyone who comes up says they have people on their list who don't need anything, but they want to remember. And uh, so it's really thrilling to have give them an alternative to purchasing something. Some of Connie's relatives also are drawn to giving charity in honor of a loved one instead of a conventional holiday present. She was astonished when one year she and her daughter in different locations ended up donating to the identical charity in each other's name. But not everyone relates so well to alternative giving. In my husband's family, there's a big history of giving. They grew up poor. The parents were, his parents didn't have college educations when they were young, got those later. And stuff was important because it was a marker of something else, um, abundance, which during the rest of the year was not there. And I remember when I was new in the family and I was just um, taken aback by all the stuff at Christmas. And I, the first one year I gave his mother um, a gift, an alternative gift. It was a gift for a donation in her name. It was like a lead balloon. It felt totally flat. She was not pleased. And so in in his family and then in in the family we made together, it has been difficult to turn that tradition around. And that's one of the liberating things about being at this older stage of life, that you get to choose what you do. I don't have to be hostage to anybody's idea about how much I should spend and give. Traditional gift-giving for Christmas and Hanukkah is a bonanza for broadcasters and other outlets online and in print that sell commercials. Even in an economy hobbled by recession, advertising is projected to expand steadily. December holiday ads are just one face of our pervasive consumer culture. Well, it was a long trajectory, starting really right after World War II, where our economy ramped up so much for the war. Annie Leonard in Berkeley, California. And when, when the war was over, our business and government leaders got together and they said, how could we keep this hyper-consumption rate going? And they settled on promoting a culture of consumerism so that we have begun to define our self-worth by the things that we own, using stuff to express express our love and affection and and to express traditions and rituals. We've allowed this stuff, consumer items, to take the place of many other things in life. It seems certainly to have 
accelerated since World War II. Absolutely, especially with the um, advent of television and mass advertising. Companies now spend billions of dollars a year to convince us not only that we need stuff that we don't actually need, but that we'll be lesser, less successful, less loved, less um, professionally successful if we don't have all this stuff. So there's a multi-billion dollar advertising industry just convincing us that we need to go out and buy all this stuff. Can you match the price of this TV? Uh, yep, we'll match any store's price, even after you buy it. Nice. Oh, he is going to love this. Look out, Santa. <laughs> well, in the holidays as well, and with everything in my life, what I do first is I turn to my community as opposed to the marketplace. So if I need something like a turkey basting pan or a lawnmower or something, I turn first to my community and see, is there somebody that I can borrow it from or lend one to? If we turn to our community and invest our resources there before the marketplace, we end up with less toll on the planet because we're, we're using less stuff. We end up with less toll on our budgets because we're buying less stuff. And one of the great things about sharing stuff is you have to talk to each other. So it really um, supports and builds that sense of community. Especially if you return the basting pan. Return it in as good or better shape is the core value here. You're listening to a Humankind special, Reclaiming the Holidays. I'm David Freudberg. For more information on this segment, please visit humanmedia.org. It's no coincidence that Annie Leonard refers to her hit online film, The Story of Stuff, by its initials, SOS. She and other environmental advocates view our advertising-driven consumption of natural resources as a real and present danger. In Annie's words, we are cutting, mining, hauling, and trashing the place so fast that we're undermining the planet's very ability for people to live here. So how does she balance those concerns with her role as a mom? Well, I think you can't just spring it on your kids some Christmas morning of, guess what, we're not partaking in this consumer orgy anymore. I think it's sort of a long um, process of, cultivating an awareness. So my daughter, for example, has accompanied me to look at some of the factories where our stuff is made and has looked at some of the dumps where our stuff is dumped. You know, so she's been able to see some of the often hidden impacts of our consumer frenzy. And she, she still wants a lot of stuff, I'll admit that, but at least it's tempered with an awareness that all this stuff comes with a cost. So she can think about, is it worth it? But again, this is where community comes in. You know, I live in a very tight-knit community in California. We have lots of friends in the neighborhood and the kids share a lot of toys. And increasingly, both kids and adults are realizing that owning the stuff brings with it a whole level of maintenance and um, care that you, and clutter that you might not want. You just need access to the stuff. So if you can get friends to share stuff, you have access to a whole bunch of stuff without actually owning it all. Again, better for the planet, better for our budgets, and better for community because you have to talk to each other. So fewer things accessible to more people. Fewer things and more friends. We don't always choose all of the objects that show up in our lives, even people deliberately trying to declutter, to consume less, and to downsize may receive holiday gifts presented by friends with the best of intentions. Sue Butler in Cambridge. My middle daughter says, oh, you can't re-gift. <laughs> uh, that happens sometimes. Also, uh, I give a lot to Goodwill, um, 
I'm a landlady, and I'm horrified by what my tenants throw out. So I'm always fishing it out of the garbage and taking it to Goodwill. Because uh, it's useful stuff. Why should it sit in a landfill when it can be useful to someone? And when it need not be replaced by something new. Right. <laughs> I also had one tenant who um, had a gorgeous, elegant chaise, and everything else in her apartment came from the garbage, and it was magnificent. She had an old, ornate um, 19th century frame and all sorts of stuff, but when people decide to be resourceful, the things they do and can do with that are really fabulous. Of course, for a lot of people, including the tens of millions who flock to malls each week, shopping is simply fun. They enjoy the retail environment and the opportunity to check out what's new and cool. They like picking and choosing from what's available. And the vast American economy feeds on these buying habits, and in many cases borrowing habits, as they are heavily supported by personal credit card debt. So for people who don't choose to opt out of consumer culture, Annie Leonard has some suggestions. There's a couple of great online databases I really recommend. One is called Skin Deep. If you Google Skin Deep, it will bring you up this cosmetics database that lists tens of thousands of personal care products. You can look at your cologne, your shampoo, your bath salts, your any kind of personal care product and find out which ones have more or less toxic chemicals so you can choose more healthy things. There's another even broader database called the Good Guide. That's good, G-U-I-D-E, fabulous database that lists the environmental, health, and social impacts on a huge range of products so that you can make sure that when you are spending your money, you're using that money to build a better future rather than just continuing the sort of toxic-laden, growth-obsessed consumer frenzy that too many of us are on. If you buy local, if you buy used, if you buy organic, there's lots of things you can do to support those parts of the market that we really want to see more of. What about issues relating to packaging, uh, to wrapping paper, uh, to batteries, to shopping bags, just the basic mechanics of, of buying things from a store? Packaging is one of the fastest growing and most problematic parts of our waste stream because so much of it is just not recyclable and not compostable. So, of course, look for packages or look for products with the least amount of packaging possible. Carry your own bags to the store. Make sure that you do recycle those things which can be recycled. If you live in a community that doesn't have a strong curbside recycling program, get together with some neighbors, write some letters to your government officials, and get a curbside recycling program so that we can really recycle recycle and compost as much of this material as possible. So the less packaging from the store, the better. And then for the um, packaging that you do at home, try making really nice cloth uh, bags that you can reuse over and over or unpackage stuff carefully so you can reuse the packaging. I know these sound like sort of silly school kid kind of things to do, but they really do add up. And if you don't believe me, walk around the neighborhood on the first garbage collection day after <laughs> Christmas. I mean, it is loaded with packaging and wrapping paper. I mean, I wrap large things in pillowcases, or I use old um, grocery bags and turn them inside out and then decorate them and wrap them. Anything that reduces the use of new stuff that we're just going to throw away quickly is better. It does seem, though, that the, the social pressure to give gifts and lots of gifts is just so high as to be almost overwhelming for most people. 
I think that's true. There's enormous social pressure. And, but at the same time that many of us feel that social pressure, we also feel stressed out by that. And so one of the things that we can all do is start having a conversation, start to suggest around the workplace in families other ways to appreciate each other and show your, your fondness and show your love without buying so much stuff. Because I think you'll be surprised how many other people would be very glad to spend less time at the mall and more time baking cookies with their kids. It's not just you. And yet the patterns of how and why we acquire consumer products can be deeply ingrained. Many Americans, prodded by the economic downturn, are now paying more careful attention to all kinds of purchases we make. Annie Leonard views that focus as an opportunity to go deeper. If you look at the emerging fields of happiness studies and look at what really makes people the most happy, it turns out that it's not stuff. It's not a new car, even if it's a Prius. It's not a new iPad. It's not increasing stuff. That is once you have your basic needs met, once you have food and a roof. Additional stuff does not actually keep increasing your happiness, whereas the things that actually do provide long-lasting happiness are very consistent across ethnic groups, ages, income groups, even different nationalities. The things that provide lasting happiness, the number one is the quality of your social relations. Also, having leisure time with friends and family. A big one is having a sense of meaning or purpose in your life. And another one that always ranks very high is the act of coming together with others towards shared goals, whether it's a political goal, a civic goal, a community, a sports team, you know, a game, but the act of working together with others towards shared goals. The act of connecting. Connecting and working together towards something that you're, that you're doing together. But we're in this interesting situation in this country where around the holidays, but all year long, we're actually undermining and neglecting these very things that make us most happy on our quest for ever more stuff. So we spend more time working than people in any other industrialized country, about 300 to 400 hours a year longer than our counterparts in Europe. We spend more time watching television. We spend more time shopping on this quest for ever more stuff when it, the data really proves that that's not what's actually going to make us happy, spending time with each other, having a sense of purpose, having good friends and community is what makes us most happy. When I read that data, that really resonated with my own life. I know that having strong friendships with my neighbors on the block, sharing everything from rituals and holidays to childcare and lawnmowers has really enriched my life so much more than just an endless supply of, of material stuff. So when I heard that, it made sense to me. And I've been trying to share this message that what we really need is more friends, less stuff, you know, less stuff and more fun. That's going to provide more lasting happiness for ourselves, as well as allow us to figure out how to live within the actual physical limits of this one planet. And that question looms large at a time of accelerating climate change, because the resources we consume in the form of fuel we use and products we buy leave an enormous environmental footprint. Annie Leonard. So the United States has about 5% of the world's population, but uses about 30% of the world's resources and creates about 30% of the world's waste. It might be hard to understand how that is just being in the United States, but if you go to different countries, you can really see the difference. Our houses are gigantic, which means more materials to make them, more heat to heat them. Our cars are gigantic. Our refrigerators are gigantic. All of my friends from other countries marvel at the size of our refrigerators. 
leaders in this country, our things are bigger and also shorter lived. They're, they're lower quality, so we often throw them away quickly. So both the volume of stuff and the scale at which we throw it away and replace it is just completely out of whack. And the result is we're using a disproportionate amount of the stuff on the planet that wouldn't be such a problem except that we're butting up against the planet's limits and a lot of people don't have enough stuff. So the onus is really on us to figure out how to scale back our resource use, how to how to live satisfying, thriving, fulfilling lives without using so much stuff so that everybody on the planet can have as much stuff as they need as well. The real challenge here is to think how is it we want to live? How do we want to celebrate these occasions and then be intentional about it? Whether it's going to a store with something particular in mind or the shape of Christmas Day itself, there is so much power in the media. Get this. This is what it means to be a loving parent. Um, so it requires a lot of, um, uh, of strength to say, this is what I want for my family. And you can find um, real rewards by being more intentional. Connie Stubbs in Waltham, Massachusetts, an advocate of alternative giving. Listening to Humankind, I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Antonio Oliart. Editorial assistance from Thomas Royal and Kathy Graham. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Dan Gunning, Vince Maraventano, Max Leahy, and Tony Buck. Our program is produced by Human Media in association with WGBH Boston. Program development provided by Shart Media. You can hear more episodes of our series at humankindpodcast.org. That's humankindpodcast.org. This segment, Reclaiming the Holidays, is Humankind Program number 172. The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org. And at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you.